This is a Music Therapy Chronicles podcast episode with Ellen Lind. Yes, I I completely agree. I think that's so important um, that, you know, we as professionals, whether it's in the music therapy profession or the performance profession, take the time to really um, think about that and, and, and work to work to not be so wrapped up in our um, in our identity as professionals because you know we are not our profession you know that's that's what we do for however many hours a week and uh, you know and it's something that is obviously very meaningful and it's a huge part of our lives we spend the majority of our t- of our time working but at the same time you know I, I think it's important to ask yourself what would happen if I couldn't be a music therapist anymore? You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like the music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Kayati. I'm your weekly host and a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe so you never miss an episode and consider leaving us a rating and review. We really appreciate them. You can find more podcast episodes, links to our pod courses, the self-care community, links to all of our social media, and get on our monthly newsletter all at musictherapychronicles.com. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this show today. And you can always reach me by sending an email to hello at musictherapychronicles.com. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thank you so much for being here today and choosing to listen to this podcast episode of all the other amazing podcasts out there. Thanks for choosing this one. I really appreciate your support. If you are new to the show, hi, my name is Trisha. I'm your host. I am a traveling music therapist in New England. And I'm going to ask you to take a moment to subscribe to this show so that you don't miss any episodes. And for anyone who's not following us online yet, we're at Music Therapy Chronicles on all the platforms. So find us wherever you want to see us in your feed. <laughs> um, today's episode with Ellen is really validating is how I felt about this conversation. So I hope you do too. Ellen talks about her transition from being a performing musician for a long, long time and transitioning into music therapy, what her experience was like, her advice, her um, candid, vulnerable storytelling about just what, what this experience has been like for her. And 
there are lots of wonderful nuggets in this one. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. You get a lot out of it. And I'll see you on the other side. All right, Ellen, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you because you have a very unique experience um, to how you got to music therapy. But to start us off, can you tell the listeners just about yourself and it can be music therapy related or not? Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's see. I am I'm a music therapist, uh, a new professional. I'm living in Madison, Wisconsin, and I just finished up my master's degree from the University of Kansas let's see, this past summer and got board certified. So, um, oh, thank you. <laughs> so it's a very new career for me. Um, it's also a second career for me, like I think a lot of music therapists. Um, before I found out about music therapy and, and started that journey, I spent um, probably about 10, 15 years as a freelance musician. I'm a cellist by training. I did my bachelor's degree in cello performance. And so spent a long time freelancing and teaching. I was taking a lot of orchestra auditions. I worked on cruise ships and I got to tour with a couple of rock bands and all sorts of stuff. Um, and yeah, so I think that my my journey to music therapy might be a little bit different, although I'm sure there are some who come from the performance world. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm excited to be here and chat with you. Cool. So when did you first hear about music therapy, and then how was like that that transition in your your mind and your career to say, "Ooh, this is probably what I want to try," and then what did you do to get there? Yeah. So, um, so I had been living in Lawrence, Kansas. I moved there from the Chicago area to be with my partner. And so I had been living there for a few years. I had built up a teaching studio. Um, I had started playing with local orchestras and subbing with the Kansas City Symphony and uh, playing with the Topeka Symphony. And after a while, I uh, was starting to feel really burnt out. I know burnout is something that we talk about a lot uh, in the music therapy profession. And I don't think it's something people talk about as much in the performance profession, but it really is a, a very real thing and it happens. I really had a, a very poor work-life balance, really no work-life balance at that point in my life. Um, and I was really tired of the constant sort of hustle to make a living with, as a freelancer, you know, this mm -hmm. idea that, um, this feeling like I had to take every gig and that I, you know, I was always putting all this pressure on myself to practice like three hours a day and always preparing for the next thing, always preparing for the next audition or the next concert or even lessons. Um, and so I started to just think about the idea of a career change, which is something I think a lot of performers don't ever think about um, because there's so much identity wrapped up in, I think, a yeah. performance career as there is probably in, in music therapy as well. And so I started to, to look into options. I ended up applying for a couple of jobs at the University of Kansas, just a couple of jobs that I thought, oh, maybe this is something I could do. I had never really worked in an office before, but I had a lot of administrative experience with like 
um, I had my own small business coordinating weddings, uh, musicians for weddings and events. And so I thought, okay, maybe this is something I can do. So um, yeah, so I ended up um, getting a job with the Career Center at the University of Kansas, which is fortunately a really great place to be when you're thinking about a potential career change. So I was working there part-time. Um, and it was through, um, yeah, it was through working at KU that I ended up um, learning about music therapy because of course KU has this great um, music therapy program. And I got to talk to the chair of, of the department about it. And so I started, you know, really thinking about maybe this would be a good thing to pursue my, my grad equivalency and master's degree. And um, yeah, so that was how I came to music therapy. It was definitely very, very much by chance, but I'm so, so happy that I did. Yeah, I'm glad too, because it's, it's always really cool for me to hear um, you mentioned burnout. And so it's, it's cool to hear the perspectives of new professionals who are like new to being professionals, like typically younger people and new music therapy professionals who are experienced in other areas of work and the different perspectives they take um, just in general. So yeah, for sure. What has, has that been like for your, your burnout journey? Yeah. I, you know, um, that's a good question. I, I think, Loaded. <laughs> <laughs> let me, I'll talk a little bit about what it was like for me, the, the burnout that I experienced and, um, maybe it might resonate with some of your listeners, even though at the time I was in this different profession, but, um, yeah, like I mentioned before, I was just, um, I always used to call it just hustling. I was just constantly hustling for the next gig, for the next um, job. You know, um, when I moved to Lawrence, I um, I went to work for this fantastic violin shop called Beautiful Music Violin Shop. I ended up becoming really great friends with the owner, um, but that was a great sort of transitional thing. It, it helped me get um, it helped me get students. So I, I put together, you know, a teaching studio in my basement um, and then started taking some auditions for the, the local orchestras in town and getting to know some of the local freelancers. So getting gigs. And then, of course, I was always I'd like I think a lot of um, people who come out of music conservatory programs are sort of trained to do, I was taking orchestra auditions because when I was in school, that idea was really kind of drilled into my head. Mm. I think in a way that, you know, I'm not even sure I wanted to be an orchestral cellist, but I had this idea, I think sort of just, just in me that that was what I needed to do to be quote unquote successful. And so I was really just grinding myself um, day after day. I didn't take weekends off because of course weekends are usually when you have gigs, you have weddings, and then you'll have like an orchestra concert in the evening. And then maybe you'll have a matinee concert on Saturday or uh, Sunday. And then during the week you're teaching every day and you have evening or orchestra rehearsals or maybe during the day, um, you know, just this constant push. And um, I was really not good about scheduling breaks for myself. I sort of just was on this like week to week treadmill of just, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And there was also this just really like internal um, 
sense that I had, again, I think this is something that I really absorbed when I was in my performance um, undergrad degree, that you know I had to practice a certain number of hours a day. I had to maintain this really high level um, as a performer. I had to keep my chops up in order for me to have like self self-worth um, mm-hmm. and it probably sounds really unhealthy and it, it really was for a long time and so I think that all of those things in addition to the fact that you know being a freelance cellist does not pay very well there are no paid you know there's no paid time off there's no benefits you know there's no 401k all of that so I was ready I was really ready to just make a change but it was it was so hard and um so I think I just sort of operated for a couple of years in that sort of state of burnout, but just feeling like I didn't have any other options at the time, because that was what I had been doing for so long. And and another thing I'll say is that I think, you know, as as performers, um, people are often really wrapped up in the identity of their instrument. And, you know, so I really just considered myself a cellist and I would introduce myself and I'd say I'm a cellist you know and uh the idea that I would maybe someday not be a cellist was like terrifying to me I was so attached to it you know so when I started thinking about the idea of career change I think it was really scary at the same time um as it was exciting because the the identity thing was so completely um wrapped up in all of that yeah I think that that identity piece is something we talk about a lot in our profession as music therapists about um, how how can I separate myself from a work from my work in a healthy way where this doesn't become my whole identity. It's not what I do all day, every day, all the time to the point of burnout. And that's something when we have um, in the self care community when we have our occupational wellness month. That's always a really great conversation about like. How can, if you were meeting me for the first time, how would you introduce yourself that doesn't include your profession, your career in general, or how you are of service to others? Like, who are you just as you? Uh, and taking time to reflect on that, I think, is is really uncomfortable, but also very transformative in giving ourselves space to be a human and make shifts in our lives 100%. Yes, I I completely agree. I think that's so important um, that, you know, we as professionals, whether it's in the music therapy profession or the performance profession, take the time to really um, think about that and, and, and work to work to not be so wrapped up in our um, in our identity as professionals, because you know, we are not our profession. You know, that's that's what we do for however many hours a week. And, uh, you know, and it's something that is obviously very meaningful and it's a huge part of our lives. We spend the majority of our, t- of our time working. But at the same time, you know, I, I think it's important to ask yourself, what would happen if I couldn't be a music therapist anymore? Mm-hmm. Or what would happen if I couldn't be a cellist anymore? Or whatever it is that you do, if you find yourself in that state of being completely identified with that career, just to spend some time in that space and and spend some time, you know, maybe see how it feels. Does it feel scary or does it feel, you know, okay? Um, because it is, it is something that could can happen, and and uh, 
and I, yeah, like you said, I just think it's, it's important to, to value ourselves as, as human beings. Yeah. And I, from my limited perspective as a music therapist and musician, I think the fact that music is so ingrained in us makes that separation in our identity even harder because, you know, you likely started playing music when you were in elementary school. So say you were five to 10 years old, you've been training to do this job for decades before you even become a professional. And so you know, can I, can I be a cellist separate from being a music therapist? Can I be a musician in general? And can that be separate from my career? Um, because music for many of us, music in itself is so much part of our, our identity, even though it is also our work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that's so important to, to spend some time with. Yeah. As music therapists, we talk a lot about using music for ourselves versus using it for clients. And I'm sure that you have a really unique experience um, and perspective on this because of your performance background. Like, how did you even at that time in your life separate, you know, music for yourself versus playing music to just improve as a musician? Yeah. So I, I think the reason, you know, I. I'll say this, I think some people who, who come up in the performance world, um, their, their experience with it goes so far back. Like sometimes they, they are, they start the violin when they're three years old in a Suzuki program and they just stay with it and they're very serious and they do concerto competitions in high school and they go to some, you know, a, a fantastic conservatory and then they win their orchestra job and it's like their whole identity has been that from, from day one. I was not that person. I mm. I started on piano when I was pretty little, maybe six. I never really liked the piano. Um, I had the good fortune to to be in a school system where um, orchestra was offered. And so when I was in fourth grade, I got to start playing the cello. I loved the sound of it. I was just really taken with this like deep, you know, soulful sound of the cello. And I got to, um, you know, basically play in orchestra and uh, really loved orchestra, really loved music. And I played in my first rock band when I was in middle school. You know, I played in a couple of bands in high school. I always really liked, um, you know, when I was an adolescent and stuff, I was so into music and like indie rock music. And like, the, I lived in, in the Chicago area. So I was so into like the local Chicago scene. I would go to the Metro to see concerts and like all this stuff. I was just a real, a real music fan and all different kinds of music, not just classical, you know, I liked classical, but I also liked, I loved rock music and I loved, um, you know, just getting to know all these different bands. And um, so when I made the decision to go to music school, it was really based on, it was based on, you know, I, I love music more than anything else. So I think I'm going to try this as a career. And uh, so I decided to go for, for performance. And at the time, I really wasn't thinking about like, how is this going to translate into a viable career? I was mm -hmm. just of this very, I think I was kind of an independent spirit. I knew I wanted to live in the city. And so I, I applied for the performance uh, program at DePaul University. And that's where I ended up going. And um, I sort of immediately felt 
this sense like I didn't quite fit in in that world, in that performance world. Um, I felt like I was a little bit of an outsider kind of having come from this more like rock and roll. Um, mm. You know, I liked, again, I liked classical music, but I also had a, this much wider perspective. And um, I, I ended up playing with a with a band in, um, while well, I was in college called the Scotland Yard Gospel Choir for, for about three or four years. And um, I was also very serious about my cello studies. You know, I was practicing not as much as some, but, you know, probably a solid three hours a day, um, going to rehearsals, um, going to concerts. Um, and I think at the end of my time at DePaul, um, at the ed end of my sort of conservatory-like experience, I figured out that I had become a little bit of a music snob. I, <laughs> I sort of had lost the love a little bit for some of the music that I used to love, you know, like like the the rock and roll, like the um, the stuff that I liked that was not polished and that was like, you know, maybe a little out of tune or maybe rhythmically not totally perfect. I think I think that when you study, and I think this can apply to any discipline, but when you study something to this huge extent and you become, you know, something, you know, at some point you become an expert in it. And I'm not saying that I am, but um, you reach some level of expertise. And at that point, I think your standards become so high that um, it really just shifts your perspective. And for me, I found that it shifted my perspective in not a good way in terms of my relationship to music. I think I started to, I, I did start to love classical music in a new way. I remember spending a whole year listening to nothing but the late Beethoven string quartets <laughs> and, you know, just becoming totally obsessed um, with certain pieces of classical music. But at the same time, I definitely kind of lost the love for the music that I had, I had loved previously. And, um, and then I really spent a, a long time, you know, in my freelance career, just not listening to music a ton, not getting super excited about music in that same way that I had in the past. I definitely had some, some moments of that, but I definitely also spent a lot of time just, just kind of not listening to a ton of music because I was doing music all day long as, as we are in music therapy. I think it's mm. very similar. Um, and I just, I think I just felt like I needed a break or if not, I just needed to listen to something that was um, just kind of in the background or that was something that would give me like a certain vibe or feeling like I, I, I love listening to dub reggae. <laughs> I listen to a ton of dub reggae. And so I would, you know, just put that on while I was cooking or something and just, just feel those like summary, summary vibes. Um, but it's funny. Um, as I've gotten into the music therapy profession, just really as I've gotten into my first job, I have started listening to music again. And I've started listening to some music from my high school years. And I think part of it is having so much time in the car, which I know you know about, Trisha. Um, <laughs> but having so much time to listen to music. And and I think the other thing is that I, I am really careful to separate the music that I use in therapy from my own music. And so spending that time like listening to music that I feel really helps to metaphorically fill my cup, I think is really, is really important. And I, and I, so yeah, I think getting into this new profession has really shifted my perspective on so many things, but, but especially on, on music and um, music listening. Yeah. 
I go through phases where I, you know, am like listening to podcasts and books and kind of like information heavy stuff. And then my brain mm-hmm. is on overload. And then I re-listen to music. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, why don't I do this more? <laughs> oh, same, same for sure. Yeah. So since you recently completed your internship and you, you know, have, have had this professional career, you went into school internship, you're back into this new professional career. Tell me what that experience was like, like completely mm-hmm. candid. Okay. So it was really hard for me. In fact, the whole school experience was really hard for me for a couple reasons. One is that I have never been a person who likes school very much. Mm-hmm. But the reason I went back was it, it was um, definitely because I was really uh, excited about music therapy. But it was also because I was I found myself in this like I was feeling like I needed to change career from the performance career. And I was in this like admin position at the University of Kansas, which was really good in a lot of ways, but it also wasn't really, I didn't find it fulfilling for me. It wasn't really a good fit. Mm -hmm. And so I was really feeling like, okay, I need to do something completely different. And I think getting a master's degree is going to be, is is going to be probably the best option here. So um, yeah, so I went back to school. I am a lot older than my peers in the program. You know, being a grad equiv, you end up taking a lot of classes with undergrads. And I remember there was this one class, uh, I don't remember which class it was, but we were doing some group work. And one of my group members said, Oh my God, you're old enough to be my mom. Oh, snickerdoodles. <laughs> and I was like, really <laughs> thank you but it was thank you it was true I mean, it was person. true like but um yeah but you know so that was like the feeling i had it was it was this like um again this kind of feeling of like being an, a little bit of an outsider um but you know the master's level classes definitely were were different and, and it was great to be with um students who felt a little bit more like my peers in terms of like their age and their their life experience um i do have to say going doing internship was was a challenge as well i i ended up doing my internship sort of in two parts so the first part was i went to work for a nonprofit in the great lakes region um and that was i was working with different populations um a lot of a lot of kiddos um people with you know developmental disabilities uh, some mental health work as well and i ended up um, you know ending that internship because i got um, well there were a couple of reasons i was incredibly homesick was one i was away from from my partner um, who's living in kansas um, i also felt like the internship was um, after i got into it i, I was feeling like this is not a good fit for me and I was starting to actually like doubt my you know whether music therapy was the right career for me and I was so freaked out by that you know um so I ended up you know I started to talk to my advisor and um anyway this other option this other um, opportunity came up working with a hospice organization in the Kansas City area mm-hmm. and so I was really fortunate to get to transition into that for the the final part of my internship. So I got to be living at home again. Um, I got to be with my partner and my dogs and <laughs> just in my house. And um, the other thing that was so fantastic about it was 
I had this amazing supervisor and I, from the moment, like day one of, of working, of interning at the organization, I was like, this is what I want to be doing. I mm-hmm. felt immediately like this huge weight lifted off my shoulders. And I think the weight was this weight of like, what am I doing with my life? Can I even be a music therapist? Have I made a huge mistake? Um, no, all of a sudden I was like, no, this is where I'm supposed to be. I felt, um, after I got home from work, you know, every day I would feel just like completely, I mean, I would feel tired and sometimes really a bit emotionally drained, but I felt fulfilled. I felt like the work I was doing was important and that I was helping to make someone's day a little bit better. Um, I was learning so much from my supervisor and just getting, um, you know, just, just getting, uh, more of a mentor kind of experience, which is um, not something I had in my previous um, experience. And um, yeah, so, so after doing, um, after, you know, doing that, that second internship, um, I started looking at jobs right away, actually, as I was coming to the end of it, and was fortunate to get um, this position up here in, in Madison working in hospice. So yeah, it was a journey. It was a tough, it was a tough time. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was very tough. I think it was tough on me. It was tough on my partner. There was a lot of um, feeling unsure. There was a lot of doubt. Um, but I'm here now and I feel so grateful to be where I am. And it was all, it was all worth it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that. I, if I was thinking about, if I was going through internship now as like an adult person who has an established life and routine and partner and dogs and, you know, all that kind of stuff. If I had to pick up and leave that, that like would be so incredibly challenging. And I also think it's so admirable that you were able to say like, Hey, this isn't for me. And like, I'm the best choice is not to like, just stick it out to get through it. It's to find something that is for me so I can learn as much as I can during this experience and making that transition. And it's wonderful that that worked for you. You found that hospice was the right fit. One of the things that I know music therapists with, you know, 20 plus years of experience have said when they went through school, the expectation was everyone has to be good at working with every clinical community Mm, and now it's kind of like find your niche and like where you jive and go with that and I think that that's an amazing mindset shift that we're seeing where you can you can have your strengths and you can have your weaknesses and it's okay to say that's a weakness of mine and I don't need to spend the time like pushing through it when I could really be making an impact somewhere else I totally agree and I think that I think that part of why I ended up in that uh, place where I was not thriving as much was because I had the, I had this idea like I okay I do need to be competent with every population and I need to I need to really experience every population so that I can mm-hmm. you know um, figure out where I want to be and I knew that that particular um, uh, site had you know had that um, that was one thing it had going for it was I could really get that that experience. But I also know that um, I think it's important to like trust your gut when you're a student. Uh And if your gut is telling you, I think I want to work in hospice, 
then like, I would advise people to just go for that, you know, try to try to do that for your internship. And, you know, um, I, I think listening to our listening to your gut is something that's really hard. And it's something I am still working on. Um, and, but I also think it's, it's just really important. And it's so easy to second guess ourselves. Yeah, 100%. Especially because we do want to be competent or at least try so many different things. So we know, and there is so much to try and so little time. Um, but yeah, going with your gut also something that I'm still learning and in sessions, sometimes I like, I don't want to say that's a good time to test it, but you know, things come up where you're like, I feel like I should try this thing, whether that's like taking a musical risk or bringing in something new or, you know, whatever. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but the times when it does work, it's like, oh my gosh, like I had no idea why I even thought of that, why that came up, but it worked. Uh, and it's building that trust muscle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cool. What else did you want to touch on today? Hmm. I think that we've covered a lot. I can't, I can't really think of too many other things. Um, I, I guess, you know, one thing I wouldn't mind touching on, cause I think it's, it's probably something that a lot of, uh, folks in our profession experience is, is just, um, I guess like how to navigate the the challenge of the still relatively unknown nature of this profession. Mm. You know, I think that's something we all we all experience. I mean, I have um I mean, you know, I think on a daily basis people think that you're coming to perform or you're um you're an entertainer or you know, or you're a volunteer. Um and just finding ways to like navigate that. That's one, that's one challenge I'm experiencing as a music therapist, uh, as a new professional, you know, and I, um, yeah, I don't know. I just want to put that out there. Cause I, I think it's like a challenge that we, I think a lot of people, um, experience and it's, uh, it's real. And, and I think it's especially a challenge in our profession cause it's so new, you know, and it's, um, and it's difficult to define and it's difficult to describe and it looks so different in all different settings. And, um, you know, I really feel like being a hospice music therapist is, is like, it could not be more different from some of the things I did in school and, you know, in, um, in other settings, you know, working with kids or working with different populations. It's, it, it just looks so different everywhere, you know, in all these different, different settings. And, um, yeah. So I don't know, Trisha, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I'm thinking I did a clinical internship, not internship, sorry, a clinical placement in hospice when I was an undergrad. So that's like my limited hospice experience. But I remember um, I had previously done mostly like you mentioned, like kids or um, adults with mental, not mental health. That was my internship was mental health, adults with developmental disabilities. And I remember every week when I would get ready to go to my hospice clinical placement, the energy I had to bring to it was so different. I was like, oh, like mm. you can be like bubbly and energetic and all this stuff. But like what was most successful was going as like a grounded version of myself and staying calm and really 
paying attention to what my client was doing or what they needed and not being three steps ahead of what I need to do next and what I need to say. And it was just being much Mm -hmm. more slow and grounded is the word that keeps coming to mind. And I was so grateful to have that experience to understand, oh, this is also music therapy and it looks different. It brings out a different side of me. And which one do I gravitate towards? You know, which am I good at? Again, where do my strengths lie? But also at the end of the day, which makes me feel better, more fulfilled, and also have the energy to go into my next day. Uh, Mm -hmm. So if anyone's Mm -hmm. a student or intern or professional looking to make a change, listening, try a completely different setting and just think about like, what do I need to bring to the table here? Not even just clinically, but as a human being, what side of me needs to be, needs to come out when I'm in this setting and how is that going to help or hinder me um, with living life in the Mm -hmm. long term? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and I think another question to ask yourself as you, you know, for students or, um, people who are in a situation, in internship, or maybe in a situation where they're trying different settings is to, to think about like, what is the setting where I do feel like my most, my most kind of authentic self? Yes. Um, I know for me, the minute I stepped into the hospice world, I was, um, I felt like myself, you know, I never, never really felt like myself when I was teaching cello. Although I think I found some authenticity there. I had a hard time when I was performing. I was, I felt like I had to really bring it in a way that, you know, was difficult, was, was really challenging. I think my natural energy level is kind of like this low mellow kind of thing, which for, for um, hospice feels like a really good fit. I always had a really hard time working with little kids, you know, and feeling like I had to turn my, turn my volume up to 11, not literal volume, but like my energy, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah. So I think just like noticing when you're in a setting, like, how do I feel? Do I feel um, like I'm able to kind of be myself or do I feel like I'm having to act a little bit? And I think there's always a there's always an element of of um, performance in any situation. Um, but where can I be the most authentic um, version of myself? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I'm also thinking as a traveling music therapist, I my caseload in general is very diverse, and when I I find that when I am in a session. I'm very much in it, very much present, like, you know, pushing out the energy, doing what I need to do. Um, But when I get to the end of the session, sometimes I crash Mm. and sometimes I'm ready to go to the next thing. And so reflecting on why that is, where that's coming from. Does it have to have to do with where I'm working, who I'm working with? Does it have to do with the types of experiences I'm putting out? What drains me? What fuels me? Taking taking the time to really uh, reflect on those things to set yourself up for success and sustainability in the long term, and hopefully prevent burnout instead of just combating it. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think in in our profession. You know, we talk a lot about self-care and we talk a lot about mm-hmm. boundaries, but I think there's a really good reason for that because, you know, as a music therapist or or as any kind of um, helping professional, you know, you cannot really help 
others unless you are in a good headspace and a good physical space. Um, you know, feeling somewhat okay <laughs> in your in yourself in your body, and so. I think it's it is really important to notice those moments like where oh my gosh I feel so drained right now what is contributing to that is it that mm-hmm. I you know I'm not I'm not sleeping well or I've been drinking too much caffeine or maybe I'm working with a population where I feel like I have to really bring it in a way that's not serving me you know or and not serving others um but yeah, I think I think there's a good reason that we spend a lot of time on self-reflection and um, and self-care and and you know, or at least ideally we do because it's it is so important to to be in that good you know headspace. Hundred percent. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we do the rapid fire? I don't think so. Let's go for the rapid fire. This podcast is sponsored by the Music Therapy Podcast Collective, also known as MTPC, where you can find a variety of CMTE opportunities in the form of pod courses. All of MTPC's pod courses are built on a listen, learn, apply model, where you start by listening to some assigned podcast episodes, then move into learning with the assistance of a workbook filled with resources for you to start your self-study towards whatever topics are most interesting, inspiring, and applicable to your practice. And then we finish with the apply section, which includes an office hour and a worksheet to determine how you are going to apply your learning to your personal life or professional practice. You can find all the Music Therapy Chronicles pod courses on our website, musictherapychronicles.com, and you can find the entire catalog of pod courses at MTPC's website, mtpodcastcollective.com. Make sure you also get on the MTPC newsletter for 10% off your first pod course purchase. Cool. The questions are short, but your answers don't have to be. The first one is coffee or tea? Oh, definitely coffee, 100%. Um, I am a, a coffee first thing in the morning, and then I do a, a coffee usually around 10 a.m. when I'm like driving around from, from one session to another. If it's a really dreary, like gloomy day like it is right now, I might do an afternoon coffee, but I know that that's dangerous in terms of sleep. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've spent periods of time, you know, off of caffeine just to like experiment with how I feel. And I just, um, I just feel better. (laughs) I just feel better when I'm drinking plenty of coffee. So yeah, absolutely coffee all the time. Good for you. Early bird or night owl? I am an early bird. I um, have, 
you know, kind of been that through throughout my life. I just tend tend to get up early. And I also think that I'm more, um, my head is clearer when I'm earlier. So I mm-hmm. like to, I actually like to get up quite a bit earlier than I need to for work. And um, I love to do some reading in the morning. I find that I get my best I, I'm I'm mo- most able to kind of absorb what I'm reading um, when I'm in that morning that morning time. I love watching the sunrise. Um, I also find it's a really good time to journal. I'm, I haven't mm-hmm. been um, really maintaining a journaling practice lately, but in the past I have, and um, I just think it's a really good time to to spend a little a little bit of time with with yourself. If you can carve that time out in the day, I know a lot of folks that's not possible, but um, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, the morning for me is just, uh, it's, it's kind of one of my favorite times of day. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Something you'd tell your younger self. Yeah, I think I would tell my younger self so many things. <laughs> it's hard to pin down just one. I think I would, I would say, um, hey, listen, it's maybe a good idea to spend some time trying to figure out what you actually want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, because I, I, I think that um, my younger self really allowed outside forces to tell me what I want. Um, mm-hmm. And it's taken me years, many years to, to figure out what I want and to really get in touch with that. Um, I think another thing I would say is, take some downtime, like really take some downtime. Um, and a little bit every day is good. A little bit of downtime every day. You don't have to be um, constantly being driven and productive and working toward the next goal. You know, I think that it's important to, to have a little bit of drive and <laughs> to be working on some goals, you know, and to feel productive sometimes is good, but also, um, you can really take that over the deep end and um, and that can get you to a really, I think, unhealthy place. So those are a couple of things I would, I would tell my younger self. Yeah. I think a lot of people need to hear that. Your music therapy elevator speech. Yes. I knew you were going to ask this because I've listened to your podcast a lot <laughs> and I was thinking about this question and um, you know, I think, as I, as I think a lot of people have noted, like it, it really depends on who you're talking to. Um, but I think that the simplest definition is music therapy is using music to, to help people, you know? Mm. Um, one thing I like to throw in depending on who I'm talking to is I like to call it an allied health profession. You know, I think that, um, I think a lot of times people think music therapy and they think, oh, is that just like when someone comes in and entertains you for an hour? Like, no, <laughs> it's not. Mm. It's a it's a legitimate health profession, and um, it's it takes a lot of school to to get to the point where you can sit for the boards and then um, take your boards, and then it takes a lot of years to become good at it. I'm just at the very beginning of it, and I I feel like every day I'm learning so much. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I don't know if that's a very good definition, but but I think just keeping it simple and um, thinking about your audience, you know, um, yeah, that's what I would say. <laughs> yeah, I love that. 
your favorite self-care practice? Yes, I, uh, so I, I recently moved up to Madison, Wisconsin, and I joined this fantastic yoga studio. And um, I went to, I went to this one, they had like a free class, they were doing this month of sort of introductory offers and all this stuff. And so I went to a class and I hadn't realized it was a hot yoga studio when I got there. So <laughs> I, um, and I had done hot yoga a couple of times, but um, anyway, I just immediately, I just kind of fell in love with it and I ended up joining that. And so um, yeah, yoga has become a very, um, very much almost a daily practice for me. And that has been a huge part of my self-care. Um, I just find it, you know, it's a way to keep both your mind and your body uh, centered and feeling good. And, um, you know, I feel really fortunate to to be in a position where I have the resources and the time to, to get to practice in a studio. Um, but yeah, so that's been one of my sort of new self-care practices. And yeah, it's been good. Good for you. I'm glad that was serendipitous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something that's currently adding value to your life. Yeah, I I would say that um, reading is one thing that's that's really adding value to my life. I, you know, when I was in school getting my grad equivalent and masters, I rarely read for pleasure. And I know some people are able to do that. They're able to like read the articles and the all the things they're assigned and then also have that, you know, fiction book that they're reading. Like I was never one of those people. I would, you know, I would just be reading so much for school. I just felt burnt out, not burnt out, but I felt uh, just, I didn't have the energy to read on my own mm -hmm. things that I wanted. And so, um, yeah, since I started this new job, I have been reading fiction and nonfiction and all sorts of things. And it's been, um, it's just been feeling really good to, to, uh, yeah, read what I want to read. You listen to the show. So, you know, I'm in the same boat. So I'm going to ask you for a book recommendation. Yes. I have a good, really good one that I read recently. I actually heard this, um, author interviewed on, on a podcast, um, I think it was on the Ezra Klein show, but um, her name is Chloe Cooper Jones. And she is a, I believe she's a philosophy professor. She has like two doctorate degrees. She's really smart. And um, she has a memoir called Easy Beauty that I just really, I, I loved it. It was pro probably the one of the best books I've read recently. Um, and she's a person with a disability. So it's uh, a lot of the book is about um, her, her, um, life as a person with a disability and what what that's um what that looks like um but you know it's it's uh i don't know it's, it's just it's fascinating um it, it was yeah like i said one of the best books i've read in a while so i would definitely recommend it yeah okay i will link that and look it up for <laughs> myself too mm -hmm. all right your favorite intervention or song to use in a session so when I started at the company I work for, I got to shadow this fantastic therapist named McKenna, who um, works in our Milwaukee office. And so I got to go around with her for, for I think it was two days. Um, and I noticed that almost, almost every session she did for the first um, song, she would do You Are My Sunshine. 
And I noticed how that song was, you know, it was very much a good introduction to the session. It feels like, um, it feels like a perfect opener. And a lot of the folks that um, she was doing sessions with just seemed to really um, love it and kind of, you know, it, it spoke to them. And so that's one I really like to use at the beginning of sessions. And sometimes also at the end, I find it, it often gets folks singing along more than, mm. more than some other songs. And I, um, yeah, so that's one that, that I love. Um, and another thing I've been kind of experimenting with, you know, um, at the University of Kansas, we talk a lot about the, um, therapeutic functions of music. And so like the different elements of music, like pitch and um, tempo and, and all these things. And so I've been thinking a lot about the element of sort of timbre mm -hmm. and ways that I can adjust my timbre in a session to, um, to really target whatever goal I'm trying to work on with a, with a patient. Um, so specifically, I've been thinking a lot about how I'm using my voice because voice is, uh, you know, I'm not a trained singer and uh, I've, I've sung in bands and stuff like that, but I'm not, uh, I don't feel like I uh, really have mastery over my voice, but I've been really kind of exploring, like, how can I use my voice in a way that's going to, to bring energy up or maybe that's going to be more relaxing and and experimenting with how much presence i i use how much um what kind of resonance whether it's like really, really breathy sound or it's a more um present kind of sound um whether i'm singing in a, up a higher register or a lower register um so things like that are, are just some things i've been kind of pondering yeah i think that as music therapists, those like our awareness and manipulation of those things is it, it can create magic in so many ways. Yeah. Yes. And sometimes you do it, in, at least I do, do it intuitively and like something happens. I'm like, oh, I did a thing and that's what created this response. And I didn't even think about it until afterwards. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, music <laughs> is magic for sure. I agree. <laughs> All right. Last question. Where can the listeners find you and connect with you? So I am on LinkedIn, just my name, Ellen Lind. I am on Instagram at EC Lind, which stands for Ellen Catherine, EC Lind. Those are probably the best ways. Uh, I'd love to hear from, love to hear from anybody that might want to get in touch. So please feel free. Cool. I will link those in the show notes. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me and to share with the listeners and share your experience. I know that there were definitely lots of things in there that I really needed to hear. So I know the listeners will get a lot out of it too. Oh, thanks, Trisha. This was really, this is really awesome. And I really appreciate you having me on today. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Ellen as much as I did. It's always 
great to hear different perspectives on the show. That's one of my biggest goals for this show. And one of the things I enjoy is just hearing, um, hearing the perspectives of all the different music therapists out there and how, what we bring to the table based on what we've learned in our own experiences and done in the past and our aspirations for the future. Music therapists are a very special group of people and I'm so grateful to be able to have conversations like this. So I hope that you got a lot out of this one. If you want to get all the future episodes sent straight to your podcast player of choice, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss any. And if you or someone you know is interested in being on the show, you can let me know by sending an email to hello at musictherapychronicles.com. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to this week's episode, and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation and got a lot out of it. If you're looking for more Music Therapy Chronicles, you can check out our website, musictherapychronicles.com, for more episodes, blog posts, social media links, um, contact information, our self-care community, and our CMTE opportunities in the form of pod courses. Hop on our monthly newsletter if you haven't already and follow us on social media for just staying up to date on what's going on behind the scenes. We are Music Therapy Chronicles on all of the platforms. Please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. They really help the podcast be more visible so more people like you who are looking for this type of content can find it. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to this week's episode, and I'll see you in the next one.